guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, Stefan Neff. And today I'm very excited because I always uh, write in emails or in, 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 in other places when I sort of introduce myself that my mission is to change the world one interview at a time, one book at a time. And that is me. That is my mission. And I say that with a, with a smile, but I actually mean it. And therefore, I'm so excited to have Kate Semenuk with me because Kate has got the same mission. She is exactly, she is a world changer, a world mover, a woman who wants to give it all. But she doesn't do books or interviews, although I'm so grateful that she is here with me on the show. No, she's a hypnotherapist who uses that skill to actually help people. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful because there's so much to be said about it. But let's get into it. Welcome to the show, Kate. Oh, I'm so honored to be here, Stefan. <laughs> Fantastic. And first of all, I'm so pleased because I, I myself, I had so much help from a hypnotherapist in my own recent past when PTSD raised its ugly head again. And um, indeed, to cut the story short, I've, I've told the story a few times on my show, but within literally three sessions, um, of hypnotherapy plus a guided interview um, where she essentially made me realize what the, the core problems are by asking me the right questions. Um, I, I, I was basically not cured. You can never be cured of PTSD, but the, the symptoms were much reduced and calmed down. And for that, I was forever grateful and I was blown away about the effectiveness so therefore it, it's uh, let's let's talk about that so let's talk about hypnotherapy in the first instance to get that out of the way because many of the viewers or listeners will be thinking of stage shows of kind of hey careful i will never go to a hypnotherapist because they turn me into a chicken and make me do chicken wing dances or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how did you get into hypnotherapy you know, um, and I always find that very interesting that people come to hypnotherapy when they already tried so many other options and they kind of couldn't figure out what's wrong or they relapse into the old patterns. So that would happen to me. I tried like, you know, self-therapy, you know, meditations. I tried talk therapy, traditional, but nothing worked. I had the craving all the time. When I moved to Canada six years ago, I stopped smoking. I said, okay, Canada, Canada is pretty expensive to, for smoking, right? So I'll just stop. But the craving was there every single day. So that's what brought me to like, okay, there is something there. There is a block. There is an emotion that I still didn't uncover. And that's when I found Marissa Peer and her rapid transformational school. And I was like, okay, let's try it on me I tried it and it helped and I was like I just want to do that to people as well and I just want to help in that way it's beautiful isn't it it's so powerful yes. if you can help someone regardless what it is if if you were to ask me why do I really do what I do why am I an anesthetist because I can help people through a really really rough time in their life and they 
either after surgery, wake up with a smile or get around in the intensive care unit and are grateful that they're still alive or things like that. So it is that that the knowledge that I can help, which is one of the most beautiful things in my job. So I get a lot of self-satisfaction there or satisfaction out of it. And, and I see it from the grin on your face. I see, yeah, me too, me too. <laughs> oh, goodness. But I mean, we need to talk about two things here uh, and they're a bit linked. So when, uh, uh, we need to talk about your name and where you come from because Semenuk is Ukrainian, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. So you, you grew up in the Ukraine? Yes, I grew. I ra- was raised and born in Ukraine mm. for 27 years, 28. Mm. And, um, you know, the culture there, it was still after the, it, it was still post-Soviet Union. So the, all of the rules, all of the structure, all of the politics was still kind of ingrained in the Soviet culture. Mm. So I grew up with the alcohol on the table every day. Exactly. At the dinner table. It was, though my parents would tell me, no, 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 this is so bad for you. You shouldn't be taking it. But it was there. <laughs> so my mind got confused really early. Mm-hmm. I like, Mom says and dad says that it's not bad, but I see them so happy. They mm-hmm. are so incredibly happy drinking. Mm-hmm. So why? Why is this so bad? So at 12 years old, I decided to try it again as well. Why I decided to try it again, I uncovered much, much later. But when I did try, I felt that numbing, that that feeling, you know, that you numb the pain. And it's so good. You forget about everything until the next time. At 12 years old, my body was not developed. My mind was not developed. So everything was kind of damaging for a little, you know, for a long, long time. And I would get, I would get married and I would slow down. I would get a baby. I would slow down or not drink at all. Of course, because I was pregnant, I knew I understand. But the first day after I stopped breastfeeding, I would start drinking and smoking again. (laughs) So this relapsing would happen to me multiple times, multiple times. Until I understood that there is something wrong, Kate, you need to look in the mirror and see that there is a problem. And I was also owning a restaurant back home in Ukraine. So alcohol was so accessible. (laughs) There was no way you could avoid it. (laughs) And you see that culture every single day. So you form the belief that this is how it should be. There is no other way. What do you do without drinking? There is no fun. There is no connection, right? So there was a fear that if I stop or if I quit, I will not have connection with anyone. Mm. And that's so true, isn't it? You've already raised a lot of issues there. The the the, the availability in 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 certain societies is just tremendous. And I was I was brought up like that as well. Uh, it was normal to have a glass of wine, it was normal to have beer, and it was just everyone, everyone drank, everyone, it was everywhere. And the advertisement was everywhere, and the smoking was everywhere. So yes, uh, like you, I, I very much fell into that. And with hindsight, I'm actually surprised that I didn't start drinking earlier. I thought I, I, draw, I drank 
the first time with purpose with 14 something like that and i was mm-hmm. actually quite sick with it because i on purpose wanted to see what it does um when i drink and drink drink more and since then whiskey was never my thing <laughs> certainly well still makes me shudder just from that experience having said that other drinks very quickly gave me benefits and we often we often talk negative about alcohol, but when you're a young person, when you're shy, and you have got that liberating feeling, oh, beautiful. Or when you have already experienced trauma, and you suddenly have got a drink, and that anxiety goes away. Oh, it's beautiful. It's bliss. And then many people keep forgetting that, that it very much served a purpose. Uh, maybe a poor choice, but it still nevertheless served a purpose for what we were doing. And you you called it numbing. And uh, it, that's interesting that you say at 12, it started numbing you. Um, you, you just seem to describe a, a happy childhood where there was laughter rather than fights in response to the vodka. Um, yet you liked that numbing feeling. Are you happy to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Why I understood that it was a numbing feeling for me, because I I grew up in a very regular middle family. However, because of the alcohol, my brother, my older brother, he was four years older than me. He started to abuse alcohol like really, really often. And I, when he did that, he became absolutely aggressive. Mm. So aggressive that... That was a huge fight, screaming, yelling in the house. And me at 10, 9, 11, I couldn't understand. I was confused. What is happening? So I was in that pain, but the culture was you cannot express your feelings. Everything is great. So because of that, in order to, because I didn't express, I suppressed the anger, the resentment, the feeling different, feeling like it's my fault that they do that because of that I tried. And when I got my first alcohol, of course I didn't feel really well, you know, however, it didn't stop me. I tried again and again. And that feeling came in that feeling of bliss, uh, relaxation, calm. I didn't worry about my parents about screaming, yelling fights, nothing ever mattered from that point. However, in the morning, it hit me even harder. <laughs> In my book, My Steps to Sobriety, I uh, call it anxiety. So the hangover and anxiety, because now you feel a bit guilt and you feel a bit shame that you have been drunk. You might not even remember the end of the night. And so you had the anxiety from and the problems from the day before because that didn't go away. Um, and now you've got a new hammer of, of hangover. Yep. It is. Oh, I remember that so well. Um, and that was just adding further trauma. Um, every day I add a little bit trauma to to the mix. And it was a very toxic and self-destructive life, I must say. And you started that early. Um, it's interesting that you were able to come off, um, that you were able to stop, that uh, the drive of maternity and, and of bringing up a baby could break through that. Um, and that's that's beautiful to see to, to start off with. Uh, so congratulations, because there's so many children out there 
of mums who couldn't do that. And you have got then a, a thing called fetal alcohol syndrome. Mm-hmm. And when you speak nowadays, when I speak to uh, the wardens in our local uh, jail here, uh, especially the youth offenders uh, jail, uh, they tell me 90% of the inmates have got fetal alcohol syndrome. And that's that's a rough guesstimate, but uh, it's certainly, um, that is where it is handed down the crime in the generations because of women who couldn't stop drinking or abusing whilst they were they were getting pregnant so that is it might be an ex- exaggeration but it's probably not so far off the truth and it's so yeah i commend you well done you so but so so the addiction was strong enough for, for it to come back in your life um again and again so obviously the underlying problems you didn't you didn't deal with um, and you you did not yet get the insight that you wanted to put a new new habits into place, take new actions um, that lead you in a different path. So what was the catalyst then? What was what changed the whole story? So when when we immigrated to Canada, we of course kind of slowed down. We do we would we would drink. We would, I would smoke, but it wasn't as like every day or every week, right? But it was still very, very obvious. Mm. What happened to me is the COVID, COVID hit. We were all in at home, right? Isolated, me, two kids, and my husband. And only then we realized how disconnected we are how disconnected we are. We are where we're sitting, but kind of like hating each other <laughs> at the same time. And I was like, this is, should be like that. We have been together for 15 years. We immigrated, went through a whole lot of uh, issues and problems. And now this being in the house kind of revealed all the trauma, the inability to connect, the not following your heart. I understood that what I do is not something that I want to do for the rest of my life. So not listening to your heart brings depression. Mm-hmm. You know, when you do what you hate to do or, or just don't like to do, it brings depression. Depression brings feelings, right? Feelings bring, or feelings bring depression. But those, but those feelings, you need to either face them or you numb it. With the alcohol, of course. But that's it. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. However, once I started to take the courses, you know, like started to look at the subconscious mind and the regression therapy, that's where I started to, oh, so my connection with alcohol has nothing to do with, well, like, like it has to do with me, but it has nothing to do with any outer, it was my beliefs. My emotions that I wanted to numb. Yes, it was environmental for sure. However, I knew that I need to find that core reason why, when, how, and why I connected alcohol with emotion. And I found it. I found the very first time when I went into a regression, I went into the hypnosis, right? And it's a therapeutic hypnosis. It has nothing to do with the stage, right? And we we do, we do willingly go in and get induced and we are very happy to be in that relaxed state. So when I went into regression, I uncovered that emotion, that emotion of loneliness, 
disconnection, mm -hmm. suppressed feelings. You cannot express what you feel. You have to shut it down. <laughs> but if you shut it down, it doesn't mean it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's, just go, it's just shut down in the unconscious mind. And your unconscious mind doesn't like that. So it's going to just push you, you know, push you. Get out. Let me out. And how do you let it out? At least with the alcohol, at least with a cigarette, you feel that oh, rush. But you also, you get this, this inhibition. And often enough, um, the, there is this saying that uh, only children and drunks are speaking the truth. And because you can actually bring out the truth and you can then excuse it with the alcohol. So if you suddenly cry your eyes out or if you suddenly are weak, quotation mark by your own standards, um, then you can say, yeah, that was the alcohol and everyone will understand. Uh, and how, how bizarre is that? Obviously, these tears needed to come out. Obviously, you needed to talk that truth. You needed to speak about what was going on. And here you are, you in, in broad daylight, you think, no, I can never do that. I'm a man. And therefore, it's a bizarre. I see this beautiful girl over there talking words that typically come out of the mouth of a man. Because we are brought up, uh, boys don't cry, you're strong, you're all that. Yet the same principles have been distilled into you. And it's, it's nuts. It's crazy um, how, how these words sound out of your mouth. But I, I'm so pleased that you got that insight. So there you were. And in all fairness, I mean, remember, we all make up constructs to explain our drinking. So when you have gone through a life of trauma, Oh, of course, you, you've got, you, look what they have done to me. Look what they have done. And you had all the excuses because ultimately in 2014, Russia took over uh, the, the border of the Ukraine where you lived and you essentially became, um, for the lack of a better word, a refugee. Uh, a, you thought, oh my God, where is this going? I don't want to be behind the new Iron Curtain. Um, so you left. So that's huge trauma. That's huge. So you sold your business, you uh, emigrated, you had little children to do so. I mean, that is how much more stress do you want? So you had all the excuses to actually keep drinking. So um, did that come into the game? Did, did, that, did that play a role? Absolutely. So when we had, when I had a restaurant, that's when the, 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 start, the war started in Ukraine. So we would watch news. Every single, because there was a huge TV, right? We would watch news. We would see those like negative. We would see the threat that is coming to us. And like, oh, well, what do we do? Let's drink. Mm. Let's remove the stress because it's easy. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to meditate, work on yourself. Mm. No, the easy, the quick fix is to drink and then it gets better. In the morning though, mm. of course, those emotions come back. And that's where the looping thoughts happens. And that's a very important for, for the listeners and your audience to understand that when in the morning we blame ourselves, we come back to that same feeling, mm. that feeling of loneliness. You know, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Others can quit and I cannot quit. So you, we, our mind goes back to that same feeling and the subconscious mind like, oh, oh yeah, this feeling, let's go back. Do you know what to do for that feeling? Go back to drink. So it's a looping thought. <laughs> and 
the more a person drinks, the shorter that time becomes, you know, the more like you wake up and you already want to drink. Like, you know, the, the, the more we drink, the more we, the, 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 the bigger, the, the, the more deepest the emotion is, right. The more painful it is, the shorter that period is. And that period in the morning when the pain hits is a very crucial moment because it's where our still decision-making is still working. Mm -hmm. It is our only way to make any decision because as we know, alcohol or any drug, any substance, it affects the decision-making center in the brain. Mm -hmm. So when we tell a person who is a drug addict or an alcohol addict, and we say, well, you should should quit. We we need to understand that the decision-making center is very suppressed. It is down it, it doesn't work the same as in other people. So, you know, that looping thought comes back. So that's what happened to me in the morning, pain kicks in. Oh, I need to drink just a wine, just a little bit here and there. And, there. and then by the, by the end of the day, it accumulates and you become pretty drunk. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's the stress that was. And of course, I had a small child that I would come home and she saw that. So I, however, when we have an every person who, who drank in the, in the past or still drinking and still struggling that, and they have kids, they might not understand how it affects them. But I now have a 12 year old girl, very severely impacted by that habit. And I, I'm still, we're still working on that, you know, on, on getting her to know that it, mom, mom was in a, in depression, you know, mom was, was not well, you know, mentally. So, and that drinking is not a solution, but we still work on that from the age of two, three, right. It affected her. She still remembers that. And she still comes back to those memories. Does she blame you? No, she doesn't. However, she, her brain still doesn't, she doesn't understand what 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 bad what why it was so so painful that you needed to drink mm. like she still doesn't understand that that level of pain and i don't want her to understand that level exactly exactly yeah <laughs> but uh, she doesn't blame she just is confused like it's it's hard for her to understand why we we had a house we had jobs we were okay why mom do did you need to drink so i I pull out those memories from childhood and Mm -hmm. tell her a little bit by little bit what happened to me in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, and how long it has been happening so that she kind of understands that it's, it goes into the childhood Mm -hmm. very often. You're so right. And many of us don't understand it. Uh, If at all, sometimes when you look at at films, Hollywood or any kind of other films, there is often um, psychologists, psychiatrists, etc. are sort of uh, tainted and sort of uh, look, ah, they're going to talk for 10 years about your childhood now. Um, And it's automatically you make fun of it, not realizing how true it actually is. 
Now, if someone talks 10 years about to you about your childhood, then that's probably not the most effective therapy. Um, I think there are better ways how to do that, but you still need to recognize that trauma in childhood is something so important because the trauma or whatever happens to you in childhood, the neglect, uh, you being alone because mom and dad are always working um, or things like that, whatever it is, um, it, it completely changes you. It installs core beliefs that often are actually bullshit. But in your children's mind, they make a lot of sense. Mummy and daddy are shouting and it's my fault. Therefore, I need to, from now on, please everyone for the rest of my life um, because uh, it's my fault that mommy and daddy were shouting. I, I simplify a little bit, but you get my drift. Um, it is these core beliefs that we need to uncover. And I think that's that's where we come back in the full circle to, to therapy uh, in, in its many various forms. And what you are doing, you are essentially with hypnotherapy going very, very deep, very, very, uh, you're very effective. Hypnotherapy can be very effective if used properly. Let's lose it. Yeah, let's say it like that. Um, you have got essentially your conscious mind. And there is somewhere that the, sort of the subconscious where sort of the feelings happening and emotions and things like that happen. And that is all driven sort of by core beliefs that are sitting down there. So most of us have no bloody clue about our emotions to start off with. Leave alone, drill down to the core beliefs. Yet it is what hypnotherapy does so well because it resets deep down there these core beliefs. Um, have I expressed myself? Is, is that how you feel about, uh, about hypnotherapy? Absolutely. It is exactly what hypnotherapy does. Mm. And there are different modalities and they do address the same thing, but in a different way from mm. a different angle, but all of them go into the subconscious mind. And that's what RTT, my modality that I'm trained in, because Marisa Pierce, she works for 30 years on that method before she brought it out into the world because she was she wanted she wanted to make sure it's it's absolutely working that we do go to those deep core beliefs and reframe them we make a person at 45 55 35 understand that i'm not 5 anymore mm. i'm not 7 anymore i'm not 12 and the very interesting part is when talk therapist or any other therapist will will tell you that oh you know what you're harming your body you're harming your mind with with alcohol or with any other substance however when we go into hypnosis with the with the client the client actually comes up with drinking to save to protect themselves when we go and like, why did like this part this drinking what is it doing for you and in hypnosis, it's protecting me. Mm. Because if it doesn't protect me, what would happen? I ask them yeah. the right questions, right? As you said. <laughs> and they say, because I'm in so much pain that I want to end my life. Mm. So th from their mind, from the mind of the person who drinks or takes substances, they are actually making it longer, their life, because they're in so much pain that they can do something to their life. 
mm. and they want to save them. Though, of course, mind does not understand that, oh, you're actually, you know, like harming your body. No, there is a more crucial part to save, mm. to, to, to fix, you know, and that's a suicidal thoughts or severe depression, you know, or pain that you can do something that you don't want to. So your mind comes like, no, we have to save you. Your mind always wants to save you. Like we need to save you. And as soon as it tries the alcohol, it records. Mm. That's what helps you. And that's what we're going to use in order to help you. And that's so beautiful. That's uh, And what you have just described is also where the alcohol actually deeply interferes in our belief system, because it is it is a disease that really changes your your memory and changes your your whole way, how you look at the world. And it is very effective in that the dopamine rush that an alcoholic gets is like a tidal wave of wow that feels good at least in the first few times that they do and unfortunately that 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 level of dopamine comes down over time so therefore you're always hunting that first oh that felt so good i remember that how good i felt um and it never will be the same again um, and that's 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 the, the cruel thing, but it still gives you that little bit of numbing there. Um, but you, what are you numbing? You're numbing your emotions that come from the wrong core beliefs, and and so now it's beautiful. So your your sessions, uh, maybe let let's talk the listener through a session what actually happens, um, so that they get an idea. Um, what is your setup uh, in in Canada? Yeah, so I work with clients and it's a very rapid way. It's a two-hour session and people are people always ask me, will I remember what I was experiencing? And I tell them, absolutely. There are hypnotherapists that use deep trance and that also works great. But what I need, I need for the person, for the client to understand themselves, mm. their core beliefs that are not serving them anymore. Mm. But they need to say that. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. But I was five and now I'm not five. So the two-hour session includes induction when we go into this deep, relaxed state, you know, and the person just feels like they're trusting the world. They're trusting themselves that their subconscious mind will tell them exactly what it is, mm. that I do the regression and we regress and we go back and review, not relieve, but review those scenes like with, as an observant to see what, how they look mm. at themselves and, oh yes, I was seven and my mom just bit me. And what, what belief did you form out of that? That no one loves me. Mm. I'm worthless mm. and I cannot do anything about it. And it's going to be like that for the rest of my life. So that's the core, like one of the core beliefs, right? That they form. So, so they, more, more than that, they find themselves through the regression that they repeat the same pattern throughout their whole life. How they were raised very often. They either break this, of course, they sometimes break the cycle, but very often they stay in that same environment. They find the same partners. This, they, they treat their kids the same because this is the only way they know. So in the session, we reframe that. We look at that and it's like, okay, so this is what's your childhood, which is horrible. 
But now let's look at you right now. You didn't have a choice when you were a kid. You didn't have a voice when you were a child. But as a grown-up man or a grown-up woman, what do you know now that you didn't know as a little kid? And that's a light bulb for them. I was like, oh, I actually have a voice. I can say no. I can, you know, do other things. So that's that's the session. And in the end, they get the recording that they need to listen to in order to make those changes permanent. And that's part of the NLP, a neurolinguistic programming where they listen and they reprogram their mind we did the change but the mind will always draw you to what's familiar so we need to make that unfamiliar and make the new positive beliefs that i'm i'm strong i'm an adult i have choices you know i i choose my day i choose my life mm. so th- this is what they need to understand in the session and then install it with the recording beautiful Beautiful. And that's that's an interesting way of, of doing it. Uh, it obviously makes sense that you uh, take a, a, a lesser depth of hypnotherapy and bring out those things. My experience was a little bit different. My experience had very much the same thing, although I had the I had the questions and the realizations just in the form of an interview. The questions were asked in the right way and suddenly my mind came up with the right answers, which made me realize, huh, okay. And then I had a session, three sessions consecutive, um, where I was put in a deep hypnotherapy, Mm -hmm. uh, a deep, deep trance. um, And there, things are a little bit different there is there is uh, i cannot recall much of what was said to me but i know that my hypnotherapist uh installed uh, basically did an update of my software system uh put a new software in there for me um and that worked exceptionally well and the first time around i was sitting there in my very comfortable chair may i say um and uh i was off to sleep and I thought and maybe I thought and then I came around and she said no how long did you think it took and I said well four or five minutes and I got introduced to the to time distortion of hypnotherapy because it was 22 minutes that I was under um, and so these things do happen and it is the the most it was the most beautiful and relaxed feeling I had felt up to that moment for a long time um, and it was it was amazing I was huh, I was I was light I think I was floating out actually out of the the room (laughs) so it was beautiful so the end result is that the same my core beliefs were changed uh, specifically with the ptsd specifically with the waking up three o'clock four o'clock in the morning on the dot and having that repeated the worst of stefan thrown at me and it was just weird and uh, may i say I want to say, dear dear viewers, listeners, guys, um, trauma is not a pissing contest. You don't have to to go through the worst trauma with childhood sexual abuse or your friend blowing up in front of you on a mine uh, only for you to have PTSD. PTSD or indeed wrong core beliefs can be instilled by maybe rather innocuous things for many people, but for you. 
they meant trauma. For you, they had such a deep, deep impact that they left a scar, an, a scar in your psyche that is now making the old LP, the old vinyl, jumping again and again and again into the same groove. And what what Kate and other hypnotherapists do, they take a big screwdriver, go onto that vinyl and go... <laughs> and that sound will never be the same again, okay? So that's what hypnotherapy does. Uh, or what other treatment modalities do that effectively uh, address the core beliefs. Some of them are just more efficient. And I think um, the rapid transformational uh, approach and, and hypnotherapy is certainly something that helped me in, in a very fast way. A bit scary because normally you would think, wow, something that has been ingrained for for what, 40 years, 45 years? You can't just do three sessions and you're, you're cured. Um, that sounds like bullshit. Cured? No, you can't cure PTSD. No, you can't cure uh, addiction. But you can help tremendously in the symptoms and allow people to get on with their life. And now that they have made one change, they might say, huh, and I did that. Wow. Oh, I did that. Oh, uh, maybe I can do something else too. And then what's the next step? And imagine if you do that every day. Imagine if you do one tiny little step every day and actually get yourself a little bit better. What do you think would happen in a month? Or maybe in a year? Who would you be Absolutely. in three years? Okay. And Kate is nodding there. And absolutely, I could sort of agree more because that's what you and I have done. That's what, where, where you and I are still on this path. So ultimately, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm getting out of bed in the morning and I'm saying, yeah, okay, how can I improve today? Uh, are you doing the same? And you, what, is, what is your routine in the morning? Absolutely. I, when I started to work with my subconscious mind, yeah. like, and it was last summer that I really started to uncover, oh, it was painful. Oh, it was very painful. It was scary because I, before that, I would do talk therapy and I would come and I would talk about my problems and we would schedule another session, you know, and you talk and you talk, it kind of gets better 24 hours after the session. And then you fall back into the same pattern. <laughs> Though there's a lot of insights, of course. So when I started to work with the subconscious mind, I started to, it changes not only one area of your life, like addiction, for example. It changes everything. More than that, it changes people around you. <laughs> Correct. Like the, 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 the way my family transformed, like the more closer we get, connected we get. The, and then I started to like, okay, I need more time for myself. So I started to wake up at 5 a.m. every single morning. And I didn't know where it will bring me. But in a year, it absolutely shifted my life 180%. Like, really? So I, I do love my morning routine, you know, where I journal, where I um, do some workout, even if it's for five, seven minutes. Yeah. It's a movement. And I wake up and I'm proud of myself. I was like, from where I were to where I am now? Mm. Wow, that's great. That's, that's cool. <laughs> exactly. And that gives you momentum. And then... I nowadays can deal with challenges in such a different way. 
I don't need to escape them anymore. I can I can choose what I do. Some challenges, some some new trauma will occur, like it or lump it. Little tiny traumas, micro traumas happen every single freaking day. Sometimes they happen every six hours, and you think, "Come on, really?" Um, but it it is twenty twenty one was a year like that for me certainly and certainly the latter part of it i could just really only roll with the punches i was it was uh, hammering uh, my life god and it was okay because i accepted what it was i didn't get angry about it i didn't get resentful about it i said okay that's fine these are hard times and whatever it is okay look after yourself and that meant regression, but in a negative way for me. So it was really only work, 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 come home, crash. Accept that you are tired as hell. Just, it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. And that realization is so powerful that you that you learn enough about yourself, that you know how you're driven, what what your beliefs are. My beliefs, for example, were always you have to be the best the absolute best. That's the only way you can be. That's quite handy when you're a doctor and you want all of your patients to survive. That's actually quite a handy thing as a, in my profession. Um, but it is not a very handy thing when you have to be perfect and when you become the fixer for yourself and for everyone else in your life, it's a hell of a, of a burden uh, that you put on yourself. And, and so... Absolutely. <laughs> There is so much there. Oh man, Kate, you are you're an amazing woman who are who are there really to change lives, to change the world. Uh, and I think you're starting with your own family. That's probably the hardest. That's probably really, really good. But your daughter will grow up and experience anxiety. She will experience bullying. She will experience the negative things out there. There's no no doubt about that. But she will have seen different ways. She has seen mummy drunk, um, mm-hmm. maybe passed out, maybe in not such nice, nice scenarios. I and she has <laughs> and she has seen mummy um dealing with it. And by you doing that and speaking about it, you have done so much. You've done so much more than many other parents. So therefore, guys, if if that rings a bell and it all sounds a bit scary, etc. Can you imagine how you would be as a parent if you were to to go onto this journey? Don't you think that you would maybe change in in your relationship with your partner, with your significant other? If you were to to put, you know, if you were to imagine that you've got a garden and every day from now on you decide to put five minutes into your garden, not more, not less, but you do five minutes massively every day. Can you imagine that your garden after a month and after a year will look absolutely stunning that there is not a leaf of, of wheat somewhere? Now imagine you do that with your relationship. Just five minutes. Yeah. Put five minutes into your into your relationship uh, every day. Uh, how would that change? So, But to do so, you need to make that little jump. You need that little, the first step. And it is often the biggest step to say, actually... No, I don't need to be so proud. There is probably a lot of shit going on in my head. And probably I'm pretty screwed um, the way I am thinking. And maybe someone like Kate 
would be an amazing person to work with. Just planting that seed just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so, Kate, if people want to get hold of you, if people want to work with you, um, is it possible to do hypnotherapy remotely? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Stefan. Uh, hypnotherapy works just as effectively online. Mm -hmm. And I did quite a ton, I would say, of sessions. I would say I did more sessions online remotely over Zoom than I did in person. Interesting. Interesting. And it works exactly. Of course, we need to make sure that the connection is great. However, the person goes deep, deep, and the person really, really goes into those core beliefs and transforms them, understands them first, and then reframes them for the changes them for the better ones. But it works amazingly great in remotely, as well as in person. So tell us, how can we find you? Oh, I have a website, you know, and, and I have like a pretty big information about RTT modality, you know, and about Marisa Peer who founded it and they can book a consultation call with me and we can find out if we are a great fit and if that's what they want, you know, mm -hmm. because it is not a magic pill, you know, any therapy involves commitment from both sides. Yeah. So and there is a lot in many, in many cases, there is a fear of change, right? That, that will be rapid change. And then people don't know if they are ready for that. So it's great to have a call and to chat, to see each other, to build rapport, you know, and then go from there for the session. Indeed, Rod. But it often starts a journey and you don't know where this journey leads you. And in certainly in virtually every guest I've got on my show, every person I meet through my, my circle of of friends, coaches, blah, blah. It is, it is amazing. We all are on a journey and we are on an amazing journey. It is really, it's something, if you could make a film out of that, it would be, uh, oh, it would be a feel good film actually. Uh, certainly in my case, because I've done so much progress and so much transformation. So life is good. And oh, guys, so look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because Kate's details are, are in there and her website is in there. Kate, you are an amazing woman. I'm very humbled and honored that you've come to my show and, and, and shared your life and shared your, your insights about hypnotherapy with us. Um, hopefully, you will continue to make this world a little bit better, one patient at a time. I will do exactly the same. God knows what happens if you start collaborating. God knows what we what happens <laughs> if, if people out there actually are listening to us and start transforming. Would this world not be a better place? I sincerely Thank hope you. so. <laughs> Kate, thank, thank you. you very much for coming on to my show. And you guys out there, look after yourself. Live with passion, eh? Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Dream.